This is a HeadGum Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is a show, and facts never stop. Should I let go? Should I let go? Should I go slow? Cause I gotta know now. It's just a tip. Welcome back to another episode of Just a Tip, the podcast that is really just trying to figure out how to be a better human for us in this modern age. This episode, I speak with Allison Raskin, who is a New York Times bestselling author and a podcast host, and we discuss everything about our mental health journeys, trusting ourselves, and not limiting ourselves with set markers of success, and so much more. So without further ado, we'll just get into it. Enjoy. Okay, well, first question before we get into anything. My head is pounding, so I'm wondering how your head is. How is your head? How is your heart today? (laughs) Oh, that's so lovely. Um, I think I'm doing pretty good. I, I'm in a period where I'm not overworked this week, so I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty nice and loose and happy. Is, is that something that you've been working on of like working less or is this easy for you? My work is kind of cyclical in terms of like what projects I'm doing and also my I'm also in grad school. And so I just happen to be like in a a moment of calm. Um, So that's been nice and I'm trying not to feel guilty about it. I'm trying instead to just like appreciate it. That's the that's like one of my biggest lessons that I've learned this year, because I've I literally have been searching for like workaholic anonymous Uh, Mm -hmm. groups because it's just gotten so bad and my health has gotten so bad and literally everyone listening is like take a break like (laughs) why don't you stop but it's actually it's really hard like it is kind of an addiction and I once I started treating it as such then it started to get better and sometimes I'll fall back into that that situation because it does feel so good for me to be productive and to like be working and it's almost like the serotonin jumps that I get from doing um, any sort of tasks, especially if I didn't just like knock them out all the time. I'm just like, oh, I'm on a high. I speak with my therapist all the time about this, that it's like, you feel like you're on a high because you are on a high because work is a drug for you. (laughs) And I'm like, oh yeah. Okay, cool. I got to I got to figure that out. So that's good. I'm glad that you're not feeling guilty. That's so huge. It took me like three years to not feel guilty for not working. Yeah, it's definitely something I, I've been working on in the last few years. And for me, it's not even so much that I have a high when I'm working. It's more that when I was not working, I would feel like a waste of space or a piece of shit and having oh. to like work through that and being like, oh, you don't need to be working all the time to have value. <laughs> totally. Is that something that you learned during the pandemic or is that something that you've already known? Um, I think I, I think maybe like around like 
four years ago, I sort of shifted my thoughts. So I've, I've, I've luckily been on this road for a bit, but it can still be a struggle, you know, and especially not having a regular nine to five and feeling like, oh, it's 2 p.m. I technically don't have anything to do, but should I do something? But meanwhile, then I have class until 9 p.m. some nights. So like, wow, I, yeah. I don't have to hold a normal schedule. So I'm allowed to have like work hours off sometimes, right. you know what I mean? Like allowing myself that flexibility. Right. And you, you're, you have, you're going to school to get your master's in clinical psychology. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So talk me through that of like, obviously I know that you are also a mental health advocate and you have your Instagram account and that's so cool. I love that so much emotional support lady. So when, did, I guess I have a million questions for you, but <laughs> first, when, I guess we'll start in the very beginning. When was your foray into your mental health journey? Four years old. Um, <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, so. Amazing. <laughs> um, uh, amazing and uh, not amazing for my poor parents, but um, sure, sure. basically <laughs> uh, I had something called pandas. So I got strep throat and the strep throat activated OCD in my brain um, mm. and it came on pretty strong and fast and my personality changed so quickly that my parents thought I had a brain tumor. Um, wow. But I was I was very lucky in that my parents understood something was wrong. They figured out it was a mental health issue and then they dealt with it instead of mm. being like, oh, she'll grow out of it or, oh, it's not a big deal. Like I was like pretty quickly put on Prozac when I was four years old. I was in therapy. I was like getting the help that I needed. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I always like to take this time in my story to just talk about the fact that kids can have mental illness. And I think we don't, a lot of times people are like, oh, well, there's nothing. Why would a four-year-old be upset? You know, they're just being annoying. But like the importance for parents to pay attention to their kids and to notice change in their behavior and to right. to recognize that like they, they might need help, they might need therapy, they might need medication and that 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 is like what saved my life. And I'm, I'm so thankful that my parents were ahead of the curve on that. Yeah. Um, that, that is so vital. I mean, I think that, I mean, I'm not a parent, so I can't speak to what that would be like, but I'm sure there are so many parents that didn't take that route. And, and that's just so nice to hear like everyone listening, if they are a parent or they have parents and, or like they, they have parents, like everybody, <laughs> I mean, I guess like you had to have parents to be here, but I mean, like, you know, knowing that, that it's, it's actually so important. And not only if you're a parent, but like when we're working on our inner selves and kind of like parenting our inner child, it might be nice for us to parent ourselves and go, this is a mental health issues issue. We do need to take it seriously and not think that we're just going through a rough patch or we're just burning out. But it's like, if you're consistently burning out, me speaking about myself, if you're, if you're consistently burning out on like a, a fortnight basis, then maybe something is going wrong, you know, and awareness is the first piece of that. Yeah. And, and that, you know, you weren't just a difficult kid. You were maybe really struggling with stuff and that, you know, even if you didn't get that help that you needed as a kid, that that help as an adult will also really have an impact. Right. Um, and that the way that your brain's been operating doesn't need to be the way it operates forever. Right. So I also want to talk about the, the going back to school piece. Yeah. Because okay, so I, I didn't even finish. <laughs> There's so much no, to no, no. Uh, But yeah, basically, I, you know, I then, um, 
my career, I, I went to school for screenwriting. I always wanted to be a writer. I was a lot in the comedy space as well, doing mm-hmm. improv stand-up. I, I worked at BuzzFeed Video in 2014 to 2015. Um, and that kind of got me an audience. Um, and then I had a YouTube channel with Gabby Dunn called Just Between Us. And, and on that channel, really, I, I talked a lot about my mental illness and just my experiences. And I realized how much people kind of wanted to hear that, that like, I think, yeah. you know, now, even just the last few years, people are becoming much more open about this stuff. But at the time it, it really felt like, oh, this, maybe I should lean into this. This feels like this is maybe helping people and um, destigmatizing all things mental health. And so I sort of kept making more content, you know, with that in mind. And then the decision to go back to school was sort of twofold, One was I was in a relationship at the time with someone who I think my career instability was alarming to them. (laughs) You know, like if if you're in a creative field, you know, you have some good years, you have some bad years. You don't always necessarily know where your next paycheck is coming from. Mm -hmm. And I think that that scared him a bit. And it scared me too. Like I'm, I'm a type A personality in a lot of ways. And so choosing this unstable career has been a real challenge. Um, And so there was something to, okay, do I need a plan B if my writing career doesn't work out? Um, And what what do I want to do if that doesn't work out? And then I was like, well, probably be a therapist. And and then also thinking, well, even if I don't become a therapist, having this degree will really help me do the work I'm already doing and be able to Mm -hmm. write about mental health from a more informed point of view versus just a personal point of view. Um, and since doing the program, I've decided I, I do not want to become a therapist. <laughs> when did, wh- how, talk me through that decision to know that, which is so good because uh, same with me, like going into a new career, I've changed my career so many different times in different creative fields, but it's like, you've got to kind of put yourself out there and feel the edges of what you like and what you don't like and what you resonate with to go like, Oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to mm-hmm. do that. And then it kind of is like, um, process of elimination of of what you don't want to do. And it leaves like what you actually do want to do. Totally. And, you know, I think for me, part of it is that I've had some movement in my career since I started school at the beginning of 2019. So it doesn't feel like as dire or necessary to get this license. Um, But also, you know, being a therapist is a really intense job. It also requires a lot of of um, hours to be able to get licensed. So yes. I'm in this program and I'm, I'm still intending to get the degree, but after I would get the degree, I would need to do 3000 more supervised hours before wow. I could even take my licensing exams and become licensed. Um, and that whole process feels daunting to me. It also feels like I, in, you know, when you're a therapist, there's only so much of you in the room, you know, the client is, is Mm -hmm. the focus as they should be. And there's a lot of, of discussion on how much self disclosure to include in the session. And, you know, a lot of therapists do self disclose, but for me, I've always talked about mental health through my own experiences. Mm -hmm. And that's just not really the avenue to do that, (laughs) you know? Sure. And so for me, I've realized that I really prefer, um, being in this field in a more macro way with writing and activism and um, stuff that is more for for a, a 
bigger audience than the one-on-one interactions that are therapy, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, especially with your following and having emotional support lady like that, you you already have an in in that way that you have like a lot of people, a lot of eyes that you can affect more than just one-on-one. I think that's such a good idea. Yeah. And it's, it's a, you know, it's also scarier to do the one-on-one stuff, you know, like there's a lot of liability. There is, you know, I think I thought maybe going into this program, it would be like, and then you do this, this, and this, and that's how you therapize. And instead it's like, therapy is an art form. You have to figure things out for yourself. And like all that is, I mean, it's amazing what these people are able to do, but I think for me, I just don't feel like I will, I, I just feel like my strengths are better served in a different way than in, mm-hmm. than in becoming a therapist. Yeah. So you've written two fiction novels already, right? Yes. Congratulations. Number <laughs> <Thank> one. <you. laughs> I like, I've tried to write like three different books and it just like, I don't know if it's my ADHD or the fact that I have so many different, um, interests that maybe when I start something, I'm like so fired up. And then when it's not like new and novel anymore, or maybe I have a better idea. Like I basically have like a new business idea every three days. And I literally, <laughs> it's getting to the point where like, I'll be like, Oh, I, I want to make, um, ashtrays out of stones that I find in the desert and I carve them and I ship them on an Etsy shop. And I literally like the last week I, I made like a Google business name. Like that's like the furthest. And in order to do that, you have to like get mail sent to your house in the name of your business in order oh to God. verify. I did that. And now I'm like, I'm not going to do that. So like I have so many Instagram accounts and so many like half thought out book ideas. So like, first of all, congratulations for doing that. I can't even imagine the, how much time and effort and energy that took, but like, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I co-wrote the two books with, um, Gabby Dunn and, and they were really fun cause they are epistolary novels. So they're all emails and text messages between the two main characters. Fun. Yeah. So it was really, it was kind of like a fun writing experiment. Um, Oh, awesome. Are you looking to write a book about mental health in the future of everything that you learn? Yes, I actually have one coming out in April. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I thought that's what you were leading me up to. Um, (laughs) I'm like, I would be a great host if I knew that. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm actually, uh, I'm really, really excited. I, it's a book, um, it's called Overthinking About You, Navigating (sighs) Romantic Relationships When You Have... Uh, anxiety, OCD, and or depression. So it's, Whoa, I it's love a book that. About, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's a book about the intersection between mental health and dating. Um, con- kind of confined to those three disorders because that's what I can speak to, but I think it sure. hopefully it will be helpful to a pretty wide audience. Without getting too far into the book, because obviously everyone listening should read it because I'm sure there's so much in there that, you know, you can't talk about on a, on a one hour podcast, but like, what are some of the takeaways that you found really illuminating or that would be really helpful for anyone that does have depression, anxiety, or OCD in a relationship? Because I, there's times in my personal relationship where anxiety doesn't really affect too much because I think I've got a good enough hold on it now. Mm -hmm. However, uh, depression on both sides that when that creeps up and like really has flare ups is what it feels like in my personal relationship. Um, it it really does affect almost everything. So I'd love to hear from you doing research and, and writing this book and knowing your personal history, like what are your main takeaways in that regard? Yeah, I mean, the the basic premise of the book is that 
you know, you have to be your own primary helper and Mm -hmm. your partner is your secondary helper. But at the end of the day, your mental health is your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the the book is sort of for people that are are single and looking to date or people who are newer, you know, it, it kind of applies to everybody. But just in terms of like, you might not be in the right headspace to date at all. And so, yes, there's something to figuring out if if that's true, if you are in the right headspace, how do you talk about this stuff with your partner? How do you, um, you know, like, how do you have these difficult conversations? How do you also just avoid unhealthy relationships so you're not unnecessarily triggering yourself and your mental illness? Mm-hmm. Be- because for me, um, you know, the the germ of the idea was really that I, I dated in an unhealthy way for a very long time. And that you know, romantic relationships were by far my biggest trigger and would bring out the worst in me, bring out the worst in my anxiety. Um, And so I had to break a lot of patterns and date in a different way. And so it's sort of this book that says that's possible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's going to take work and it's going to take a lot of like introspection, self-awareness, identifying what you want. So you're not wasting your time on people you're not even compatible with. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, ultimately, it, it's a book of hope and that like, even though you've had these struggles, you still deserve a partner and it's possible for you to have a, a healthy partnership. Right. For anyone listening that maybe doesn't fully grasp the idea of like breaking patterns, maybe um, they haven't started their mental health journey or maybe this is their first time listening or maybe they're scared of doing the work because it is really frightening in the beginning. What Do you have any sort of I don't know if it would be advice, but like any sort of like uh, some like comment from the other side of like, <laughs> uh, you know, like uh, words of affirmation, if you will, of like that it is possible or, or what that means to break a pattern. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I'm a strong believer that people can change. You know, I think that this this idea that you are who you are and that's who you are is harmful and incorrect. I think that even our neural pathways are much more flexible and changeable than like we think that they are. And when we have a a strict idea of ourselves, we're doing ourselves a disservice in a lot of ways, especially if that idea isn't serving us. Um, And so just having the knowledge that if there is something that you want to change about yourself, you know, you might not do it a hundred percent. You might not do it every day, but like it is worth trying to work on those things. And also in terms of like breaking, you know, unhealthy relationship patterns, a lot of that, I think for me at least came down to self-esteem and Mm self-worth. And, and the more, you know, the more that you feel like you can trust yourself in your own hands, the, the less it matters if this person rejects you or not. Right. I think self-trust is so important and I'm only now just really embodying that. And I think that goes to my mental health journey, but also my spirituality and just like understanding like what I can do Mm -hmm. and like knowing my power and I was gonna say my powers, like I was like a witch, (laughs) knowing my powers, like knowing the power that I have and that it is in my hands. Like the power is in my hands. I'm the one that's living this life. And I think before in my twenties, I was living, 
I don't think I was living for myself. I think I was living for the paycheck and the security of what my family had told me was security is just like, obviously I work in also creative field. It's not stable. However, I've made enough businesses to make it make sense for, for them to go like, okay, that makes sense. Like you, <laughs> you do have a paycheck every day or every day. Oh my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> You do have a paycheck every, every month. And even though like I'm paying the paycheck, which is weird, but like, it still is more stable than, um, when I was like a professional dancer, where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get a job, you know, ever. But I think the trust in myself just feels different. And I think I carry myself differently. I grew up with a lot of insecurity, a lot of, um, feelings of worthlessness mm-hmm. and maybe not worthless, but like not worthy. I think those are two different things for me. Um, I definitely knew I like had worth, but it was so dependent on external validation of my parents saying good job of people on the internet saying, Oh my God, I look up to you or you're so smart or you're this or that. Um, and I, I guess still sometimes that creeps its head too. like, I, I don't know if it's like when people are like, Oh, what else can't, or like, what can you not do? That was one of the biggest like compliments I could have ever received. But now it, I guess it doesn't really, it, it's still nice to hear to know like, Oh, you're a multifaceted artist. But now I'm just like, I I love like the comment that I'm getting now that I'm stepping into my power and like really trusting myself to do what is right for me and sharing that journey online. I'm now starting to get comments from like people I went to high school with that like I barely talked to back then, but then like coming out and being like, I really like love what you're posting. It's, It's showing me that it is possible to follow my dreams and like life can be limitless. And I'm like, oh my God, that's, <laughs> that's how I feel. I'm so glad it's translating through pixels, like, cause it's true. And I think I was too scared to really go for it because I thought maybe I needed to do X, Y, and Z or some, some of these traditional things versus like, oh no, I could just like live in the desert and build with power tools. And that's what I want to do. And I really think that like that, gives me so much more comfort than taking any job just to make sure I can pay my rent in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I, you know, I think as so many people have said before, the most important relationship you have is with yourself. Mm-hmm. And so learning to, to not just love yourself, but like yourself is a real game changer. Yeah. And if you feel like, oh, that I like hanging out with myself, you know, which is important because you hang out with yourself all the time. All the time. <laughs> that that really makes a big difference. And also in terms of like the the dating of it all, of, of being able to have the perspective of the fact that like one person's opinion of you does not equal who you are. <laughs> Good or bad. Good or bad. And so just, you know, I think that we often look at like rejection as a... Um, like as a, some sort of judgment of the person when in reality, what you're actually looking at is compatibility and you're just Mm. maybe not compatible with somebody and that's okay. Cause there's plenty of people you aren't compatible with, you know, like just sort of like a lot of reframing around what it means to find people, to connect with people, being able to like go after what you want, even if, you know, there's this thing that like, well, if you, if you want a partner, then that means you're not enough on your own. And it's like, no, actually I just want a partner because that's a lifestyle choice. And I prefer mm. living a lifestyle where I have a partner. <laughs> yeah. And I'm allowed Speaking to of- do that. Thank you. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That's the thing, like the allowance and the permission is such an interesting piece because like I feel personally that I needed permission for our people or Mm -hmm. I mean maybe it's also tied into that validation that I was like so hungry for when I was younger but I think now it's like I am in charge of me and I'll give myself the allowance and permission that I need to do anything and that also goes with you know I'm also learning that around 2 p.m or 3 p.m like that's a time where I just don't want to do like admin work anymore like that's Mm -hmm. like I just need to take a complete break to just like be outside and like not talking to anyone and I remember three years ago I think I worked for an entire year on this in therapy but uh not feeling guilty for taking a break during the work hours if my team was on the clock or my employees or whatnot I would feel so guilty I wouldn't take a lunch break I wouldn't do anything because I was like if they're working I need to be working not not like realizing at all that we are individual people that have different work cadences of knowing that, oh, I get really creative at 7 a.m. when they don't come into the office until 10. And so I'm working at 7 a.m. all the way until they get out at six. And then I'm still going after that and thinking that I can't take a break. Like that is insane. (laughs) That's an insane way of working. You should not live like that. Anyone listening that is doing that, stop doing that. But right, that's a pattern that you seem to have broken, right? That you're now in a place where you can take that time for yourself. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about, we were talking about relationships and in in the mental health journey of it all. A lot of times you stop being compatible with people when you start to change because when people meet you and you haven't done self-work, maybe you can, maybe you'll be showing up as like people pleasing or a different version of yourself that's a little bit watered down or limited versus mm-hmm. when you break those chains and you can start sticking up for yourself. Like I just, I just started asking for like what I think I'm worth in, in rates. Uh, Cause I would just take any deal that came along because I need the money because I don't, I would be like, I don't know how long I'm going to be, you know, a person on the internet that people want to advertise on my art for. So take every deal to go like, Oh my God, scarcity mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, Oh, I'm having health issues because I do take every deal. And now I need to take a step back and realize that working is not going to make me happy. Like slowing down is going to make me happy. And in order to do that, obviously I've got to pay some bills. So let's raise the rate a little bit and make sure that I can make this sustainable. That was huge for me to, to realize that like life can change the minute that you want it to. It's just a matter of acting upon it. 
Yeah, and that the people's response to you putting up boundaries or to you changing, you know, what you're willing to accept, their reaction to that's on them. <laughs> like you have to sort of just let them react how they want to react. And that's information. That's information of, do I want to keep working with this company? Do I want to keep this person as my friend? Do I want to go on another date with this person once I've set my first boundary and they don't respond to it well? Mm. Have you ever had an instance where you were shifting your internal kind of boundaries, I guess, and you had to let go of some friends or relationships or has it been an, an easier flow of ride where they kind of understood and shifted with you? Like, did you have to lose anybody on this path? Uh, I don't think I've lost anybody on the path of me getting in a better place mentally. I've lost a lot of people just by virtue of it being life. And I've had a lot of very close friendships end, and it's been devastating. I've had a engagement end. I've had relationships. I've had a lot of endings. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, that's really hard, but I think what keeps me going is the, that I'm, uh, the possibility of, of new relationships, new friendships. I'm always like, my mom met her best friend when she was like 40. Like I'm, you know, like oh, that's awesome. I always think about it. I don't, I don't yet know who hasn't entered my life yet. I, you know, and, and as I change, I'm sure the people I will attract will change. And mm-hmm. it's okay if the people that I became close with in my mid twenties aren't the people I'm still friends with in my mid thirties and being just open to new relationships, I think makes me more in lost relationships less, if that makes sense, because I never know what's around the corner. Yeah. I think that's so interesting that the more that we grow, the more that we connect with people that are like-minded because I've had like very close friendships through my twenties of like, this is my best friend. And then, I mean, I've had some lifelong friendships that are still going, but like, I'll, I'll be like so immersed in this one friendship. And then after it's like kind of settling out or, you know, doing some sort of something and it's like, okay, I'm going to move into a different direction. And then I get really close to somebody else that's just like even more close to where I'm at. And it makes me so excited to meet new people on this journey because the the deeper that I go into myself and knowing myself, the people that I meet are in the same headspace. Mm-hmm. And it's just so, it's like magical. It's like the, the frequency thing. Like, you know, we meet the same type of frequency that we are. Like if we're putting out a specific type of energy, that's what we're going to get back or that's what is going to, law of attraction, essentially, like we're going to attract whatever we're putting out. And it's, it's really so kooky how it's so real because I, I remember in the beginning of my spiritual journey, like I learned about the law of attraction and I didn't really understand how right it was until it just kept happening. And I think that's like something that I I haven't been like super, super open, which is so funny to say that because I've had like so many podcast episodes of like thought leaders and people that like do like human design charts and all these like really spiritual things. But like, I haven't been so open about like my journey on spirituality, but I think that it's so hand in hand with mental health. And I think people are are more open to mental health right now, which I'm so happy about. And I think maybe spirituality is like the offshoot of that, but there are so many parts where they intersect. And it really is just like listening to your body, listening to what you believe, uncovering what you need for yourself. And I think that's why 
I'm so attracted to not so much of the the woo woo spirituality, but the the grounded like ancient practice, ancient Chinese medicine practices that make so much sense with mental health because it really is just about like discovering who you are. That's like the the name of the game of this life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of mental health treatments now incorporate mindfulness, which mm-hmm. originally kind of came from spirituality and stuff. And so I think that there is definitely more awareness that the two are linked. And we talk a lot about in school about incorporating people's spirituality into therapy and that that oh, can yeah? be really helpful. Yeah, definitely. You know, if, if somebody is religious and, and they have certain prayers that bring them comfort, you know, you might engage in those prayers during session or just like not no longer looking at these things as two separate entities, but really interweaving the two within therapy. Right. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What else have you learned from school so far that has been like a a complete aha moment or clicked something that you kind of knew about, but like it really was like, oh, now that I know this, I can show up in a different way or it helps my mental health. So, I mean, do you have days of of your life for me to just (laughs) talk nerdy to you about my master's degree? Um, (laughs) I love talk nerdy to me. Um, you know, I think that, that one of the most surprising things is that it's been proven that the most important part of therapy is the relationship between the therapist and the client. Right. And that there are all of these different modalities, there are all these different treatment methods, different interventions, but at the end of the day, what really matters is this connection between the client and the therapist and the therapeutic relationship. And I think that that's so beautiful. I think it's also kind of scary because it's not something you can control in the way mm. that you can control an intervention. <laughs> um, But I think that it also really speaks to how powerful it is for someone to feel like they are in a safe space where they can just share. And I think one of the things that, you know, I think a lot of people have great social supports and I, I don't discourage you from sharing with those people at all. But I think one of the things that's really wonderful about the therapist client relationship is that you don't have to worry about your therapist's feelings that you don't have to tell your story, tell your trauma in a way that is like, oh, but can you, is this offensive? Am I putting too much on you? Or is this changing your opinion of me? Or is this what, like, 
that's, that is not of your concern. <laughs> you know, right. it, is the, it is the therapist's job to take care of the therapist and to take care of the client. And, you know, being a, a therapist involves a lot of self-care. It involves a lot of consulting. It involves like really making sure that you're not burning out. But in those sessions, you're, as a client, you are free to not worry about the other person in this interaction in a way that I don't think exists anywhere else in your life. Yeah. I remember when I used to go to, my boyfriend calls it like talking to the village. Anytime that I have an issue or something that I'm just like, oh, I can't figure this out. I talk to everyone in my circle until I get so far out until I'm like, and then I start coming back. And then Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I've talked to everyone. This is like the consensus of what I think now that I've talked to so many people with different um, perspectives on it. But I think that something that I'm so grateful for, for my therapists is the fact that I don't have to go to so many people now because it's, it is not their job. And a lot of times, like maybe they don't have capacity to listen or maybe they do. Sometimes my friends didn't know how to, how I needed somebody to respond. And so now that I have the one go-to person, instead of putting it on, especially in my past relationships, before I had a therapist, my boyfriend was my therapist and that's not how it should be. Mm-mm. Like I put that <laughs> on them so much. And it's like, yeah, I can, I can be vulnerable and honest and tell them what I'm going through because we're in a partnership now. But in the past it was like, okay, you're my boyfriend and now you're my therapist. And then it's like, oh, that's, that's too much for one person to do, especially if they're not in the mental health services. Absolutely. And, you know, also realizing that people know for the most part, a lot of times how to solve their own problems. It's just allowing them the opportunity to figure that out in a safe space versus me telling you what to do um, Mm -hmm. and working and that it's a really collaborative relationship and that, you know, in some cases it works a bit better when the therapist is more of an expert, but I, you know, a lot of times it's much more collaborative and it's about equaling the playing field and like, okay, we're in this together. Like, how do we get you where you want to go? Um, yeah. I can't imagine being a therapist. That would be so hard. <laughs> like, it'd be so hard. And sometimes I feel bad because like, obviously I pay my therapist and it, so it's a, it is a job and is a transaction, but it is a relationship. And so sometimes I'm always like, I know I'm paying for this hour to like be with my thoughts with you and kind of untangle the, the web of my insides. But like, I want to know about your life. And I want, I feel so it's so such an interesting dynamic because like it's, it it is kind of one-sided because like she knows so much about me and I don't know like a lot about her. And I know that's not, I don't know, like this is a thought that I've never talked about before, but I think it's fun to talk about with you because like you're on both sides, right? Like you were, you working on your own mental health in public before you went back to school for this. And now you're in school learning all the, all the tactics and, and what to do when you're in a client therapist relationship. Like, do they talk about that in therapy or in therapy in a school about what if the client like asks questions about you or wants a different relationship? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So self-disclosure is sort of at the discretion of the therapist. And basically the rule of thumb is self-disclosure in and of itself is kind of an intervention, right? And so if you're self-disclosing for the good of the client and you think Mm. that this self-disclosure will help the client, will either help the client in that you're 
building the relationship because maybe this is a client where if they don't know that you hate Trump, then they're not going to trust you. Right. So you Mm -hmm. might have a client be like, did you vote for Trump? And I would argue it's perfectly okay to say, no, I didn't. I don't like Trump. (laughs) Do you know? So like that client might then feel safe with you. Right. Whereas if they are like, maybe my therapist voted for Trump and then they're wrapped up in that and then they can never actually get close to you. Right. So, um, you know, each time it's like, is, is this self-disclosure going to help or hurt and, and kind of like case by case figuring that out. And so, you know, some, some clients might really respond to being like, you know, I'm also divorced, like I'm not divorced, but let's say if I was to say to a client, I'm, I'm also went through a divorce. If you're talking to a client going through a divorce, that might really help them. Another Mm -hmm. client might be like, I don't care about your problems. Oh, you can't, you couldn't figure out marriage either. Then why am I here? You know, so it's really. Oh, interesting. It's really case by case and person by person. And you have to sort of, and therapists mess up. You know, sometimes they're probably going to share something they shouldn't have shared. Sometimes they maybe withheld something that would have been helpful to share. Um, But that's the art form of it, right? Like you're not nailing it all the time. It's just. If you mess up, then how do you repair whatever rupture happened in that relationship, if possible? Right. How interesting. Is there anything that you learned in school or no? Yes. I want to know about school. I was like in your mental <laughs> health journey, because like I it's just so fascinating to me. I don't know anyone that is like actively in school for clinical psychology or any psychology, actually. So I just find it so fascinating. Is there anything that you had learned that you took into your relationship and it made it stronger or better or like more trust in it that that came from school specifically? My relationship with my therapist? Um, in your life, like friendship, oh. um, romantic relationships, like any sort of um, interpersonal relationships in your personal life. Yeah, I think we talk a lot about context, right? And so that other people's context matters a lot, that we don't understand other people's context all the time that, you know, like, let's say, just to give an example, let's say I was, you know, if somebody has commitment problems, it is not necessarily a reflection of how they feel about you. It might be the result of things that have happened in their life that led them to that moment. Mm. And so I think that I always saw my relationships with people as being reflections of me. And this has really helped me understand that like people's past experiences have shaped them and they're going to interact in a situation based on those experiences versus based on me or our relationship or, you know, that there's a lot more at play than Mm. I think that we originally think about. That's fascinating to me because it, it kind of like goes against another a form of thought or concept of like everyone is a mirror of yourself like everyone you meet is a mirror so now I'm, I don't, I'm not familiar with that what is that oh, How, what does that mean to you I, I well to me I think it comes from I'm trying to think I, I do think that it is like written in uh, like a Sanskrit 10 rules of life or something. But basically, and I remember one of my therapists, I like complimented her on, on her energy. And I was like, I love, I love your energy. It feels so comforting. Da, da, da. And she was like, well, I'm just a mirror of you. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so cool. That, that means I'm putting that energy out. And so when I, my, my boyfriend gets really, um, I, I guess the word I'm using lately is just hectic for everything. So I'm just, <laughs> he's not hectic, but like my, life seems hectic right now to me. So like anytime that he um, 
like if I need something, if I need uh, to file taxes or I need it to like get a pay stub for him for like something, it's like, oh, can you get me this document? And all of a sudden it's like, I can't do that because I have this thing. Oh, hold on one second, one second. I just need to go get this. And it's like, you don't need it. I don't need it now. Like it just needs to be done at some point. And so I think he gets like riled up quickly if he um, doesn't have time or energy in order to get the thing that seems really difficult that I'm asking for. And so when he, when he does that, sometimes I'm trying to understand like, okay, I know that this doesn't mean that he's freaking out. This is just how he reacts to it. Um, but then now that I heard like everybody's a mirror of you, when he does that, I'm thinking like, oh, is, is this happening to me so that I can see that when I'm flustered, this is how it's coming off to other people because I do get flustered as well. And so I'm trying to try to navigate, like, is this a him thing or is it a reflection of me thing? And it's really hard to understand, especially like I'm constantly reading all of the, these different modalities of learning about yourself. That's like, okay, a lot of them intersect but sometimes in this case it feels like they don't and so mm -hmm. it's like is this a, a context a past you thing or is this a reflection thing and I don't know how to process that yeah I mean I lean much more towards we're all individuals and like obviously how we interact with somebody is gonna cause them to interact back in a certain way but like you know if I start yelling at somebody and they respond by shutting down. Mm. They're shutting down because that's what they've been doing their whole life. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. And so, but I, but speaking to, I also think it is really valuable to, to see how other people behave in the world and think about, is this how I would like to behave? Right. So like if you're, you know, not, not to rag on your boyfriend or anything, but to see, <laughs> oh, okay, so someone's asked for a simple thing and this person responds with a lot of anxiety, a lot of yeah. energy, a lot of like hecticness that makes me feel maybe a bit unsettled. So yeah. now when somebody asks me for a pay stub, I can kind of keep that in mind to be like, I don't want to maybe bring that heck, like, can I deal with it in a more calm way? Right. Mm -hmm. So we're constantly kind of looking around and looking at people's behavior that we both want to model and that maybe we don't, that we don't want to model. And I think that that can be really helpful. Like I, I'm, I'm a student at, at Pepperdine, but I also teach a, I teach a couple of film classes at USC. And it was so helpful for me to have been a student right before I started teaching because I was mm. collecting things for my professors that I wanted to model and things that I didn't want to model, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, and, and there were these certain ways that my professors that I really liked would talk to the class, ways they would engage. And I was like, okay, that's the kind of teacher that I want to be. And then there yeah. would be things where I'd be like, okay, that's not the kind of teacher that I want to be. And so it is a really interesting thing to to pay attention to the ways other people move through the world and sort of pick up what you like, maybe discard what you don't like. Um, Cause it is a, it is like a real world way to like learn mm -hmm. how certain behaviors come off and how certain behaviors are, can be helpful and harmful. <laughs> yeah. I think that's such a good piece of advice in general, not just with mental health, but like collecting what you like and then mm -hmm. integrating it in your life. Even when it comes to like something like social media, totally. like I see some people on social media being like super authentic and not posting every day, but like posting their art whenever they feel like it or like being vulnerable, whenever it makes sense in it. Like I love that, like growing up, 
it's so funny saying growing up, but like I kind of did like my adult years I spent on the internet, you know, like I, I think I, when I was 20, I think I started like making videos and I'm 30 now. So for 10 years, I've kind of grown up making weekly videos, posting almost daily on Instagram, Snapchat. When I used to do that, thinking that like I was, I was literally existing to be a personality on the internet. I wasn't really like focused on me or my growth or my life or my, my path or anything like that. And now that I'm getting older, it's like, I only go to social media, I guess if, if it's a job, but also if I have something valuable to share, because now it's like, it's not so much, I'm learning that it's not so much about me, even though it's quote my social media, it's like, I, I'm really there to like serve the people that are following me, that those, the, the groups of people that like resonated with whatever I was doing in my twenties. And now, now I have a platform where I can speak and add value instead of it being like, look at me, look at what I can do. Here's a selfie. Like for what? Like in the beginning, it was like, this is so backwards. And this is like a whole different conversation that we won't get into, but I'll just touch on it lightly. It's like, <laughs> in order this is coming from like being in the influencer world like the more likes you get the more deals you can get and that means that you can you know have a more comfortable lifestyle and it's just interesting that in order to get to that point I had to post so much and like really just like overdo it and then also like the the photos that would get more likes would be selfies and it would just feel kind of icky because it's just like, here's a photo of my face, like it so that I can pay for my life. Like it just like did not sit right with me. And now that I'm kind of really settling into what I believe my purpose is, is kind of like thanking that past version of me for like getting getting this collective to, to be connected. And now, now that I have an actual message to share before, I mean, I was always like bringing people on my mental health journey and all my confusion with it. But now it just feels like, thank you younger me for like doing the work that I don't want to do, which is like posting photos of my face so I can get more people to pay attention so that I can now talk about spirituality and mental health and following your dreams and like making it as an artist and really like believing in yourself and taking the leap. Like I'm, I'm just like, everything leads to the next thing. And I guess I'm like now going on such a tangent, but like, I don't even know where I started, but it's just, it's interesting how we can take things that we like and don't like and, and apply it to things big or small in our lives to make our lives how we want to live them. Yeah. And and how you want to live your life can also change. Right. And I'm sure you've seen that in your, in yourself that like how the, the ideal life for you at 23 is different than your ideal life at 30. And I think sometimes people think that if their dreams change, then they're betraying themselves. But I think of it more as honoring the changes that you've made and Mm -hmm. listening to who you are now instead of holding on to who you used to be. I think that's so important. When I was younger, it was like, oh, I want to be married at 25, kids at 28. And then like the, the numbers kept on going up. But now it's like just like a radical understanding of like, what do I actually want? Maybe not even understanding, but radical questioning of what do I believe? Whose thoughts are these? What do I actually want to do? And now I'm like, I don't know if I want to get married. I don't know if I want kids, like crazy change from before. And I think that if, if people do like write it in stone, like these are my milestones, it, it really limits you from kind of being a curious human and following what makes you 
feel alive, which is like the main thing that like, if I could give one life piece of advice from what I've learned, it's like, follow what makes you curious and you'll always find your way. Yeah. And I, I think when, when we have certain goals as a definition of whether or not we succeeded or failed, we're putting ourselves in a really risky place. Whereas if instead your goals are more general and broad of, I want to feel happy in my life. I want to feel, I want my life to have purpose. I want to live a life aligned with my values. And then the specifics are a little more vague. Mm. Then you're, you're setting yourself up more for success because you can't always control getting the, that specific thing. But, right. but you can more control living a life aligned with your values, being kind, having good people around you. But these, these set markers for success, if we get too caught up in them, then we don't necessarily allow ourselves to realize that we could be happy with so many different versions of our lives, that there's mm. not only one version of your life that will bring you joy. There are so many versions. I think we're yeah. just we're just taught that there's one and you got to go for that one no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Growing up, did you have a lot of other outside influences telling you what will make you happy? Or did you kind of listen to yourself from a very young age of, of following what made you happy? You know, I think I really struggled to be happy most of my life. Um, you know, yeah. like I, I, uh, I was always pretty cyclical in terms of my mental health. I struggled with social connections. I struggled with romantic connections. I, you know, um, I think it's only, I think I thought that certain things would make me happy. Um, like external markers would make me happy, but really like I had to get, um, more right with within myself and within my own relationship with myself and get a better handle on things and then learning that the external stuff is is important but it's not it's not the be all end all of it all. Yeah. I love that. Well, before I let you go, is there any piece of advice that you would give your younger self in terms of let's go in terms of your mental health. Just that no feeling lasts forever. So even when you're feeling awful, when you feel like this will be this, you know, this state that you'll be in forever, just that like you've been in bad places before and you've gotten out of them and you'll be in bad places again and you'll get out of those too. I love that. So when is your book dropping? Dropping? Coming yeah. out? What do people say? I don't <laughs> like know. it's like an uh, album drop? Pub public? I don't know. Published? Publish. I don't know. It's uh it's coming out at the end of April. Um, oh my gosh. And I and I don't think I'm supposed to say this yet because we haven't like done the campaign or anything. But you okay, can well you can pre-order it now if you want to, but I'll be I'll be pushing more for the pre-order closer to the date. Um and then if you want more updates on that, then you can follow at emotional support lady on Instagram. Yeah. And I'll put all of her links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Allison. You're such a delight. I, I'm really excited for people to not feel so alone with this episode. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. <laughs> that was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>